listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Damn, it's 2 p.m. and it's dark out already. Nah, man, it's just a shadow from that big bank across the street. Oh, yeah, those fools? I don't know, they keep shorting me on every check. I always knew they were kind of shady. Well, they tower over small businesses like us. Nah, it's okay. We're the real kings in this city. They know what time it is. Yeah? You know who else knows what time it is? Cyber attackers. Oh, yeah, how so? Well, I'll put it like this. If you look at an attacker's heat map, it's always 110 in the shade. <laughs> well, funny you say that. That's the name of tonight's drink. And here's how you make it. It's real easy. We're going to get you a 16 ounce of your favorite lager, one and a half ounce shot of tequila. Drop it, drink it. That's legit, man. Told you. Well, I'm out. A true security veteran just walked in, and I got to go sync up with him. All right, brother. Well, you guys have fun. We'll see you next round. Jim Tiller is here with me today. Jim is a security executive with over two decades of information security experience, leadership, a history of outstanding performance and growth, business turnarounds, and global recognition for innovation in security strategies and execution. He is currently global CISO for Harvey Nash. My man, Jim, what is going on, my friend? Hey, Chris. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me start off by saying all those things that I've got to do come for two reasons. One is I've been in this rodeo for a long time and uh, I got to stand on the shoulders of some really great people. So there's some amazing people I've got a chance to work with and they're just, this industry is awesome. We, we really get to come in contact with some amazing people. And uh, so, but man, it is great to be here. Chris, I've been so excited about getting on this podcast with you and uh, hardly slept last night, to be honest. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have you on, man. Um, you're, you're a veteran in the industry and, and I'm just uh, looking forward to, to hearing a little bit about that. And, and I guess we can start off with that, you know, talk to me a little bit about that experience that I mentioned in the intro and, and what led up to your current role at Harvey Nash. Well, I guess the short version of the story is it was really kind of pen testing that got me into it. Um, if you go back to 91, 92 timeframe, um, I was messing around with computers and networks. Um, actually I was writing applications for Autodesk. I, I wanted to be a, an engineer, a civil engineer, structural engineer, and um, started building networks to help my applications work better. And then I realized, wow, these systems, I can do anything I want to the computer a couple of cubes down kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so then I started kind of messing around with you know, the old Solaris pizza boxes. And then I realized that you know, I can make kind of computers kind of do what I wanted them to do, whether it be through developing an application or hacking into them, lack of a better term. So I committed to being a security professional probably in 1994. 
I think is when I, I said I made the turn. I want to make it a focus. And then from there, I just kept building up on experiences. I got into risk management and compliance and you know, early days of compliance when HIPAA and GLBA, for example, came out. Um, I got to be involved with a lot of really interesting things like uh, CMMI or SSE CMI back in the late, mid and late 90s. Uh, obviously, HIPAA, I mentioned things like when BS7799 Part 1 first came out from the British Standards Institute. That was a game changer for me. Um, from there, you know, I started just quite literally flying around the world consulting organizations on cybersecurity. So I was really given an amazing opportunity to collaborate with huge financial firms, uh, small organizations. It was just an amazing opportunity, a learning opportunity, a knowledge sharing opportunity. And then um, I started running you know, small teams and then small teams became bigger teams and bigger teams became business units. And you know, next thing you know, you're really spending a lot of time working with, again, great people and being able to share your knowledge and their knowledge with organizations through the consultative process. I know it sounds kind of, you know, clinical, <laughs> but the, I guess the way I would characterize it is I've spent my entire career doing security as a consultant, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like I went to go be, you know, VP of this bank for a little while or went to do this thing over here for a little while. I've always been in that consultative realm, specifically in cybersecurity. And Oh, well, let's just say up until recently, right? So I've, I've advised CISOs around the world um, in, in many ways or shapes or forms. And, and now, you know, I finally decided to put my money where my mouth is and become the CISO for a global organization. And uh, it's been great so far. Harvey Nash is an amazing company. So super happy to be here. That's awesome to hear, man. And, and I'm sure that with your extensive advisory experience, you've got to see uh, a long list of different types of organizations, different industries that you've had to interact with um, and different struggles that they go through. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those organizations that are in the shadows, right? And, and what I mean by that is if you have a company like manufacturing, transportation, industrial, agriculture, where if a system were to go down, the business survival rate itself would be much higher than industries like financial, healthcare, and other electronic-based business models. Although, I think that has changed in recent years due to the technology integration, business processes, and supply chain needs. I'm curious, is this something that you've noticed as well? And um, if so, what are some of the problems that these type of organizations face? And do you agree that these industries are still primed for a cyber attack? Yeah, wow, that's a big one. So um, I think your point about in the shadows is amazing because there was a time like take, um, I'm trying to remember who was the famous uh, guy that, uh, what was it? Uh, Willie Sutton said, why do you rob banks? And he goes, well, that's where the money is, right? The reality of it is, is organization. So let's kind of start with all security is, there are the controls that protect your assets from threats. Okay. Mm -hmm. So threats want your assets and the greatest valuable asset is typically money, which is yep. in the beginning. And then that, that then kind of turned into almost like processing power in some way. And then it was information and then manipulating that access and information to um, gain other forms of monetary value. Mm -hmm. Right. So stealing credit cards and all this kind of stuff. So nothing's really changed. 
But the simple fact of the matter is to your point is there for a year, decades, forever, frankly, is a lot of organizations can be, again, kind of like you said, in the shadow because, you know, why would somebody want to hack me? I'm, I'm in the agriculture business. Um, I actually had an organization, a, a CIO of a large organization say to me, you know, something to the effect of we make garbage bags or something like that. Right. You know, I can't yeah. remember exactly what it was. Um, why would somebody want to attack me? And it makes for a really compelling conversation, right? You get sort of ethereal at that point, really kind of balancing that perspective of what is a threat and also what makes you a target. But when we look at the, the indiscriminate nature of hacking today, especially like ransomware and things of that nature, combined with something you said that's incredibly important is the adoption of technology and being, becoming more deeply infused into how businesses do their business, right? So you take these two massive growth areas, the expansion of the threat environment and the interpretation of what is a threat combined with what makes me a target. What makes you a target now is simply because you have, you have the potential to have value and threats can spend easily more time trying to poke into small, medium-sized organizations. And frankly, easily because their security posture is not, you know, at the same of like a Bank of America or an American Express, for example. And they can just sit there and wait for something to happen that gives them that value proposition. And they can turn that into six, seven, eight figure payouts as a, as monet, as, you know, monetizing these type of things. So now you have organizations that historically were not seeing themselves as a target. Why would somebody hack me? I make, you know, coat hangers kind of thing, but they're also adopting technology at a massive rate which makes them ironically more exposed because their business is becoming deeply reliant on that technology. So we really have like a collision of about four or five different major changes affecting virtually every company on the planet now. And, you know, just take the United States alone. We have about, I don't know, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood between 30 to 35 million small businesses. Now, even if there was only 25% of that were relying heavily on, on technology as a new adoption or transform transformative thing for their business, um, that's a lot of companies. You know, was that three hundred fifty thousand or something like that that are now having to deal with security in ways that they've never had to perceive before, and it can have a greater impact. Yeah, I know um, ignorance is a strong word, but a lot of times <laughs> it's that ignorance of security or just knowing what threats exist because your day to day, you're laser focused on your business. And rightfully so up until this point. And then with the introduction of the, the technology, the supply chain, um, it's almost like you can't avoid it at this point. And, I, you know, I think, um, yeah, Aders is a strong, strong word and there is some reality to that. Um, but I think it also plays in just it seems totally insurmountable. Let's say you're, let's say you're a company. You do whatever it is that you do. You're starting to migrate to the cloud. You're leveraging data analytics and BI. You're looking at uh, more sophisticated CRM applications. You're obtaining information from your manufacturing equipment through, you know, IoT, all this kind of stuff, right? Now, add to that, you're talking to a security company, a vendor, and they're trying to sell you EDR or another one's trying to sell you pen testing and they're scaring you to death, right? So the whole FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt sales cycle still exists, unfortunately, as part of our industry sales cycle, right? 
And, you know, and so if you think about it, human nature, when you become overwhelmed, you know, sometimes you just kind of turn away from it. Like, I can't do anything with this. It's just too much. You know what? I'm just going to slide it off the side. You know, it's so to be human, right? Yeah. And, you know, you go in this organization and they're trying to adopt this technology, trying to up the ante as it were and be more competitive or whatever business uh, objective we're talking about. And then they're like, wait, there's just so much happening in security bad. I just don't even know where to start. And so they just throw their hands up in the air. And can you blame them? I'd say the answer is absolutely not. You can't blame them. It's a difficult challenge. And one on top of all the technology adoption, that's the technology enough is enough disruption. Now we're asking to deal with complex security issues. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, it's, um, we're, we're sort of in a, in a place where a lot of these organizations are just surviving during the (laughs) pandemic and just trying to, again, focus on their business. It's like, Mm -hmm. We've never been hit by a cyber attack. So why am I going to put that at the top of the list? That's it. Um, And on the topic of challenges associated with those smaller organizations, how about budget and resource constraints? I think there's this thought that the more you spend makes you more secure. And uh, I'm here to tell you that's actually not the case. Now, sometimes there's just simple scales of economy. You've got 27 internet connections, you need to buy 27 firewalls. I'm sorry, but you're going to buy 27 firewalls as an example. Um, there's just certain things you can't get away from. But um, just because you take two companies of the exact same size and one spends twice as much as the other one, it does not necessarily mean they're going to be, they're actually more secure, which kind of went back to my, you know, painting the bridge, getting the basics done kind of thing, which is an oversimplified message, but it's absolutely the fact. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I think that's a a huge myth. And unfortunately, there are snake oil solutions out there, which, you know, as security professionals, we know is not the cure-all. But that could be confusing for those organizations and, and just challenging for them to recognize the difference. Yes, sir. That is absolutely dead spot on. It's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. And and the resources again, um, having limited resources to actually manage that solution, even if they had the budget just to be able to manage it, configure it, mm. not wanting to spend money on a, on a MSP or if an MSP is mm. not even an option for them, just having resources with that knowledge to bring in hire who to hire. Um, that's all I think just overwhelming for those businesses. It's intensely overwhelming. I mean, think about this is you had to one, find somebody, attract them to your relatively, let's just say small company because you're not, you know, Fortune 1500 or whatever. Then let's get this. You have to keep them utilized, right? Like you get in a heavy hitter and and they're going to figure out your environment pretty quick, you know, and then start making things happen. And then, you know, they're going to get bored. So how do you keep them interested? And, and, And let's call a duck a duck. Security people fundamentally, and I'm not saying this is just limited to security professionals, but I mean, come on, we're, we're in it because it's fast moving, fast paced. It's completely bonkers on every day. Yeah. Um, there's something crazy going on. There's always something to learn. There's always something to try. It is nonstop. So if you stop that crazy train for one second, they're going to get off. Okay. And so how do you find, attract, acquire, afford, 
keep them engaged, keep them up to speed, get them out to various, you know, uh, it's just, it's an equation that is just overwhelming. So one, we're overwhelming small, medium companies with technology, (laughs) overwhelming them with the whole, you need to be secure and here's my 27 solutions. And then we're overwhelmed with the fact that, well, you're not going to be able to find anybody to help you anyway. You know, you know, it's just like, it's completely unobtainium. And imagine you're the CEO or CIO, CTO, VP, whatever of a company that is just absorbing technology at a massive rate. And now you have this mountain in front of you just from a business process. And now you got to figure out, well, who do I go to? Do I even know if this person is the right, have the right skills for me? And will those skills mature? I mean, will I be able to keep that person interested? I mean, it's, it's absolutely mind-numbingly complicated and difficult. Yeah, I agree. And do you feel like the COVID pandemic just hit the accelerator on the risk factor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, COVID, the pandemic created a couple interesting things. One is we were cruising right along with migrating to the cloud. We had things like Zoom and sort of kind of enhancing the work experience um, and the IT world. But it was kind of like struggling along, like just moving along. You know, you had your early adopters and your and the kind of development. All of a sudden, you get hit by a pandemic. Obviously, the, the most obvious tip of the iceberg is everybody started working from home and all of that implied. But that just drove a wedge. Like you said, accelerator just drove a wedge and everybody completely changed their thinking and moved really rapidly. So organizations moved far more rapidly to the cloud. That created demand for the big ones, you know, the the Amazons and the Microsofts and so forth. And they just really started advancing and really kind of pouring all their energy into, into their cloud options, right? And streamlining it. And importantly, making it easier to adopt, right? And so now, roughly two years into this madness, if you will, we have companies, you know, dealing with enormous options around IT and technology. And it's, it, it outpaced, frankly, kind of the rhythm of the business. And so a lot of businesses are catching up to these new capabilities. And you have these big companies that have just, just piling out new sophisticated capabilities, um, which includes security, by the way. Um, and it's just, I think for a lot of businesses, it can be overwhelming. And it's a great thing. Let's not say it's a bad thing. It's a great thing. Not the pandemic, obviously, but the the great thing around the um, that they were just uh, thrusted into the digital world, right? Absolutely, absolutely thrusted digital, and it has a lot of byproduct. Some not so great. Yeah, yeah. So looking at these organizations that are in the shadows that have been thrusted into the digital world, um, we can obviously define some some common use cases here. But just curious, where where would you suggest they get started? How can we, as a security industry, provide them support to become more secure without causing disruption to their day-to-day business? And um, just helping them understand the criticality, even if their core business isn't tech-based. Or do you think that they already realize the importance? I think they sense the importance. Some, I mean, I think everybody realizes cyber is important in some way, shape, or form. But the question is, is do they think it's important to them? Because what you see on the news or what you see on articles sometimes seems very far away. When in reality, there was a study recently done that of all the major breaches of information, which we think about, you know, the big ones, the targets and the Equifaxes and all kind of stuff. 
roughly 35 to 40% of the data that was lost was actually through small, medium companies. It didn't come from these giant warehouses that we know of today. So they have to deal with it. They know they have to deal with it. And where is that starting point? So I think there's a couple different ways of going after this. Is One is, I'll preface by saying a lot of people, rightly so, right, see security as like this super sexy thing, right? Threats and intelligence. And, you know, I get to be 007. I get to be a hacker for a day and not have to go to jail. And it's super cool. And you know what? These are all critically important capabilities, right? But what really makes a company secure at the end of the day, when you pull back the covers and you wipe away all the stuff, there's a handful of people doing the hard work every single day, day in and day out. It's the boring painting the bridge stuff that gets it done. And so why am I saying that is because there's an amazing amount of advantage that is not necessarily marketed in doing just the basics. Hygiene is number one. If, if somebody would come to me and said, Jim, I need to do three things. What are they? I go, patch your systems. <laughs> Just do it. And it's so old school. I mean, how long we've we been talking about patches and passwords, right? Since the first password and since the first patch, like, you know, fix the hole, you know, so it's getting a little ridiculous. Another piece is I didn't access management, call it zero trust, put whatever spin you want on it, but you got to control who has access to your resources, you know, whether they doesn't matter if they're virtual or whatever, just system or applications or data, just control who has access and manage it, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and then after that, it just comes down to find ways of better monitoring your environment, right? And there's degrees of sophistication. I personally believe EDR is one of the best things um, that vendors and technology uh, in a very, very long time, you know, and you're talking to the guy that was around when IDS was first rolled out, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and I remember firewalls like, what is that? You're going to put that between the internet and our network? No, you can't do that. So EDR, I think, is a, an amazing opportunity because the perimeter, right? I remember, I don't know if you remember the term Jericho, but it was a very concept back in the 90s and early turn of the century. It was like, okay, there is no more perimeter. The reality of it is, is I agree with that. You still need firewalls. I'm not saying don't get away with that, but the perimeter is moved to the individual. It's moved to the human being, you know? And to your point earlier, COVID has pushed that to the nth degree immediately, right? Because people are working from home. So um, EDR, for obvious reasons, because the, the world is happening from a cyber perspective and a business perspective, really at the human level now. And the data. So you got to protect the person, the system, their access. And then, of course, uh, make sure that the hygiene of the environment is good, is solid. Those would be the big ones. But as you well know, Chris, there's a lot of other things that need to be considered. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, but I think that's uh, a great place to start is sort of yeah, basics. putting it out there like um, you don't need these extreme solutions to start out. And if you're a business that you are a target, right? Mm. Let's just lay the, the groundwork. Let's let's knock out these three or four heavy hitters that are going to protect you and then, you know, work from there. Absolutely. If I may be so bold, to add one more comment there. We talk about moving to the cloud as very disruptive, especially from a security perspective. So let's take organizations that do have a security program. They may not be huge or small, but they have a CISO, they've got, you know, or an IT security person, whatever the case may be. And they're challenged with, how do I get this security policy to manifest itself in the cloud and so forth? But I don't think we're talking necessarily about 
all these massive advantages of moving to the cloud. So when you move to the cloud, your optionality for security obviously is reduced to whatever that vendor provides you immediately in many ways. But the options that you do now have in many ways exceed the security practices or technology that you had planned on implementing, right? Right. So I would say, I would say is, you know what? If you're trying to solve a security problem, sometimes getting to the cloud can be a, a can be a shortcut. And there really are no shortcuts, let's be honest. But here's the kicker. The critical difference is you have to absolutely employ 100% of what that vendor is offering you as security yes. controls in the cloud. Um, real quick, interesting story is there was a study done actually by Microsoft years ago when they were considering selling parts of Microsoft Office. Okay. And about, and they, and they did a study saying that most people buy Microsoft Office, but only use about 15% of the capabilities of, say, Excel. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're saying, well, maybe we just sell certain capabilities. Right. Now we have O365. The rest is history. So it's, Known fact that of technology solutions out there, people are only using about 20% of this features and functions. And that's become a, an acceptable behavior. But in reality, if you go to the cloud, you have to use it 100%. You'd be absolutely focused on leveraging those capabilities and configuring yeah. um, to make get advantage of it. <laughs> now, very, very good point. Um, let's say we have a, a satellite view of a city. and we're looking at these big buildings. These are the ones that are the healthcare, the financial, the, the heavy targets, right? This is an attacker's viewpoint. He's looking at a, a satellite view of the map. Then we just talked about those companies in the shadows, right? The sunlight's got to hit from some angle. There's going to be a business in the shadows. So I'm going to zoom in a little bit more on this map. And now I'm looking at, you know, that used bookstore, right? On the corner. And the organizations that operate on a much, much, much smaller scale, never been a target and don't even realize they need to seek security guidance. How do we break through to those companies? Wow. That's the uh, silver bullet, right? I mean, first of all, the imagery you just created was amazing. I loved it. (laughs) Um, So I think as an industry, we've kind of failed a little bit for the let's call it the little guy, even though it sounds so cliche-ish, right? Um, You know, we have a tendency as an industry to, again, focus on the sexy stuff, right? Which is totally cool. There's no problem with that. Um, But we have also have a tendency of just scaring people to death. And so if you're a small company and, and you maybe not fully understand that you are now a target because, you know, ISR can zoom in on you now, um, the thing is, is I, I think through, I hate to say it, almost like a community effort is I think as security professionals, we spend rightly so, I'm not criticizing the industry by any stretch of imagination, right? Um, is we spend a lot of time talking to each other. You know, we go to these events and dare I say it becomes slightly an echo chamber. And I mean that with all due respect, you know, I mean, putting on events like RSA is not a small feat. Um, hopefully we'll get to do that again here soon. And it's great for people to come together, but does the used bookstore on the corner of Fifth and Main, can they afford to go to RSA? And again, it goes back to just overwhelming them to death. But here's what you'll find is that corner bookstore, I bet you, kind of finds ways to collaborate with some of their, lack of a better term, competitors in the area. They probably 
are part of some industry, you know, article, paper, website, Facebook group kind of thing. Yes. So yeah. companies connect. Okay. And as security professionals, we have to be engaging with those communities, right? We have to be ready to go share our time, share our experiences and provide that. Look, you really need to be thinking in this way. And if you want to take what I say to heart, that's totally up to you. But at least now you're in that, you're having that conversation and then you can get back together and, and kind of feel about what are the next steps. But I, I really do believe that in today's day and age, I think, you know, information is, is, you know, valuable, you know, and I think information should be made available to everybody. Um, when it especially comes to protecting your business, protecting your employees and protecting your customers. Right. And so there's a lot that we have and we have a tendency to write these giant articles and we have a tendency to write books, me being included <laughs> that is nobody's reading, um, because they're just too long and boring. And so how do we take something as extraordinarily as complex as security and say, listen, at the end of the day, here's what you really need to focus on. Just go do this. You know, what's the intent? Here's the intent of what you need to accomplish. How you do it, you know, these are options, but you'll figure that out in time. But like I said earlier, patching, right? There's a million different ways to do that. So we need to really open ourselves up and engage with small and medium organizations uh, and then go to them. They have events, you know, as soon as pandemic will lighten up a bit. And we need to find that. And we need to find ways of saying, you know, I would love to be on your panel and talk about security. I love that approach. And you're right. It, like, if they're not coming to us, we go to them. You know, mm -hmm. I um, truly believe that we, if we, you know, inject our knowledge into their business, I walk into that bookstore and I have a used security book and I talk to them about it while I'm there. I'm in their environment. I'm in their comfort zone. But yet I found a way in. And um, I think it's a matter of just them talking to someone one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. about risk in a simplified format. Yeah. And just to make sure for clarity's sake, because I'm not talking about going on a sales mission. You know, this isn't about selling right. your right. wares. This is about helping others, you know, yes. and let them make this a buying decision after that kind of thing. Absolutely. Right? You know, in the end, it's, it's, I look at it as sort of free advisory. And we do it with people that we know, I think, day to day, friends of ours. If you, if you take our business lives out of it and we're hanging out with our friends that may be mechanics, contractors, uh, farmers, and then, you know, something comes up where it rings that internal alarm, like what you're doing may not be safe. You're going to mention it to them, but that's because you're in that situation. And I think if we seek out those situations, we can definitely, uh, raise the visibility for our industry. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, I think we are absolutely talking to our friends. I mean, I know you do it. I do it a bunch as well, but all of us need to take that extra effort and go try to, you know, force multiply is really what I'm talking about here is force yes. multiplication. Yeah. And that is go out and be, go to their events. I mean, a, a, a colleague of mine, former colleague of mine, I've known for 20 years, he actually just went and was, a. Uh, a panel speaker at a industry event for, I think it was like, um, I think it was like furniture manufacturing or something. Okay. Right? And there's maybe, I don't know, hundred people there, maybe 200 people there. And, you know, and now security is on, was on the agenda and he was able to share kind of like what we're talking about here today. And that is really cool. And we need to be doing a lot more of that. And you and may just, learn something too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Cause you, cause then you uncover 
workflows. You uncover mm-hmm. tribal knowledge that they have that could help you in your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's actually really good. I didn't really kind of think that all the way through, but you're absolutely right. Every time you get together with somebody, you get to learn something. It's not all about just, you know, barking and sharing your perspective. <laughs> you might learn how to build a chair too. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if we look at it through a compliance lens, you know, we can also be a source of identification for those businesses as well. Like, okay, I notice you do business in the EU. That means you must be GDR compliant. And here are the rules that you must adhere to. It's amazing, Chris, that happens so often mm. that you wake up one day and go, well, first of all, it cannot be because you opened up a facility in Germany or whatever, um, or the UK with GDPR, like you mentioned. It could be a new regulation that just falls out of the sky and you don't really, yet now you have to understand it. What's its implications? What's my risk? What's my business impact of that? But, you know, uh, that in of itself around compliance, I think there's a new dimension forming now that's adding even more complexity. So a lot of organizations, understandably so, and I'm a huge fan of cyber insurance, right? I think it's a good, good investment. But cyber insurance companies expect you to be secure, right? And that has a direct impact on your insurability. And then, of course, what type of rate scenario that you're in. So much like, you know, early turn of the century, you know, 1800s, you know, the Industrial Revolution from the UK, obviously over in the United States and, and globally, insurance companies set the fire standards we have today. You know, some company that was manufacturing textiles that was burning down because they were using oil lamps. Um, they didn't care. They didn't, mm. they, they didn't want to build in fire suppression. It was the insurance companies that had to pay the bill that invented effectively the fire codes that we know and understand today. We're going to see the exact same thing. And uh, insurance is going to begin to drive what is prioritization. And so you're going to see this very interesting evolution of control frameworks that we have dozens of them and we have hundreds of whatever compliance issues. And now if you want to be insured, which is now becoming increasingly complex, now they're going to start telling you what to do. Now, how do you fuse all three of those together into a meaningful security program? And, you know, that crazy little thing called business that you still got to get done, how are you going to manage that and do it in a cost-effective way? So it's, times are really interesting to say the least, you know, and uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of challenges ahead, but there are options. So It'll be interesting. Yeah, and if things play out the way that that you see them playing out, could it be possible that we start seeing security become more embedded with these insurance companies or vice versa? Maybe security organizations bringing in the cyber insurance aspect into our arena. Wow. Uh, So I'm grinning (laughs) while you're saying that, Chris. so quick, I'm going to tell you a little story about a meeting I had with my CEO back in, I think, 2002. And I sat, up, sat in his office and I said, the security thing, we really got to, you know, this is the biggest thing since sliced bread. This is going to be a big part of our future, but it's only going to last like another five, six, maybe eight years on the outside. So we got to take advantage of this wonderful craziness in business, you know, and help customers, all that kind of great stuff and technology. 
And, and he's like, well, why do you think it's going to end in you know five to 10 years? And I was like, well, obviously, security is just going to become integrated into everything, right? That's the most obvious thing to have happen, yeah, you know, IT and whatever. We didn't have cloud back then. And, um, and it's so funny how really wrong I was, <laughs> completely <laughs> way off base, totally wrong. He was a smart man that listened to me. Um, so why, am I, why did I tell you that story and why I'm reacting that way is I'm very interested in seeing and this relates back to my conversation about the cloud, right? Is at what point does the vast optionality, vast options and horizons of all possibilities in cybersecurity, look at all the products that are out there. Do me a favor, go look at a list of security products that were available in 2005, 2010, and then fast forward it now. It's grown mm-hmm. by literally like 20 times. It's unbelievable, you know? And, uh, and they're all very good. I mean, all of them have a really interesting value proposition. But at some point, how do we take organizations and say, these are the right things to buy and then having to deal with that flow? And it goes back to the cloud concept. Will security just be a feature in a cloud environment? Will it just be a feature in an application or a platform as a service? I mean, they kind of exist today, but one could argue that we're not bonding the security all the way through the system in the cloud and all that that means. We see things like CASB or SASE and all this kind of other kind of things that are moving, obviously, in that direction. But um, to your point about having security integrated, I do think between cloud, insurance, and compliance, where I think we're going to see a hyper alignment there. And I really thought CMMC from the government uh, actually was going to be a stimulator of that. And then, of course, version two came out, it softened and, you know, the rest is history. But I think between these government oversight, industry oversight, like the first, like PCI is a good example of that. And then now the insurance companies, um, they all realize are really fundamentally asking for the same thing. They're just asking for it in different ways. And that is going to be like a, like a Nova moment, like where the, the, the way that is going to crush under its own weight and finally become something that people can understand. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> um, is cyber insurance becoming regulated or required in any industry? Or are we at that point yet where, you know, if you drive a car, you got to have insurance. If you operate business XYZ, do you have to have insurance? Wow. Um, you know what? I, I honestly can't answer that question. I, I have, I could see that happening, but I would have not have thought of that before you just mentioned it, to be honest with you. Um, is I, I see insurance organizations and underwriters acting as uh, guides, okay? And saying, okay, here's what the insurance companies are asking for. Here's how, you know, what you, the controls you need to qualify. And then the, the degree of those controls help kind of say how, how risky of, a, of an investment are you from an insurance perspective. Um, I still think, Leveraging other organizations to help you implement those controls. I don't necessarily see that intermingling, but I can see how that could happen. But as far as requiring cyber insurance, that may actually be out there. I, I have to admit that's a that's a gap for me. I'd have to do some research on that. Um, just yeah, because it's I think interesting perspective. If you yeah. if you look at the parallels between mm. you know, auto or home insurance to cyber insurance, and well, you got hit by ransomware. We're raising your premium. Yeah, it's just I think it just needs to be presented clear. And I think 
once we have more of that security alignment with those providers, mm-hmm. hopefully that'll cut through the fog a little bit. And one last point on cutting through that fog is how they quantify a control. There is some elements of interpretation there. So you take a security professional and an insurance professional, and they could literally be having two different conversations, but using the same words, you know? And so I think we're going to see a, a continued increase in sophistication in the cyber insurance and industry, right? So they're, they're going to become, you know, they already have a high degree of professional cyber capabilities in their environments, but it's still a relative compared to the rest of the companies, the, you know, small percentage that's going to increase dramatically. Yeah. Um, just because you have to speak the same language. And I think there's still some of those challenges there. Gotcha. Okay, Jim, let's get down to the brass tacks here. Mm. I overheard that you're a Jameson fan. Is that true? <laughs> did, did, did somebody take a picture of something in my office? And you know, <laughs> I, uh, I overheard uh, that at the bar. I will happily admit to the world that, <laughs> that I am a absolute Jameson fan. Jameson can do no wrong in my eyes. <laughs> You've heard it here first. Ladies you heard it here first, my friend. Have you ever tried Jameson and ginger ale? Yes, I have. I've probably tried Jameson with something at anything <laughs> at one point in time because it makes the world better. It's like pixie dust. <laughs> <laughs> it makes everything taste better. No, all, all seriousness. I've had it and I'm not a huge ginger ale guy or a ginger beer guy. Right. Um, but again, you mix Jameson with it and it's magical. But um, no, I had I've had it with ginger ale before. Um, but honestly, mostly just on the rocks. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so my bartender's over there pointing at his watch. I think we're running up on time. Um, and I know you got to get back to uh, back to Raleigh. Yeah, I've, I've spent some time down in Raleigh. I love it down there. One of my favorite bars down there is called Boxcar. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. You got to check out Boxcar. It's a uh, it's an awesome bar, but then they also have retro video games. Oh, that's the best. I love it. I'll get you the address, but it's it's very cool. But um, I haven't spent too much time down there, so I'm just curious what bars I'm missing. Like what? What bars in Raleigh or outside of the Raleigh area are worth checking out? So there's one um, I would recommend, especially if you're going out with your significant other. And I don't know if I'm giving it away because it's technically like a secret bar, but you got to, there's no sign for it. Um, you got to go through a door, walk up some stairs, and then there's a hidden door uh, to the bar. And okay. there's about four or five tables in it. And they serve this, the craziest drinks. Um, it's, it's a really, 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 really cool place. It's called the Green Light. The Green Light. Okay. Green Light. You can only find it because, well, you can look it up and get the address, but you have to get into the door kind of thing. But there's when you, when you're in the streets, you'll see a tiny little green, little, it'd be like an Edison light, but a little green one about 30 feet up in the air on the, on the building. And that's your signal. That's, that's you're in the right place kind of thing. It's kind of cool. I will check that out, man. I love speakeasies. Last call. All right. So I just officially heard last call. You have time for one more? Let's do it. If you decided to open a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be? And what would your signature drink be called? Okay. 
Of course, I've listened to all your podcasts, so I knew this was coming. So I'm totally prepared, um, but I don't know if it's cool. My bar name is going to be Cyberbellum. I know it seems weird, but Bellum, I think if I'm correct, is Latin for war. So it's kind of like a play on cyber war. But okay. Bellum, Cyberbellum sounds kind of cool. I like um, that. Cyberbellum, one word. Cyberbellum, just one word. Yeah. Okay. I played around with it. Um, trying to think of a cool name. That's the one they came up with. <laughs> I like that um, a lot, actually. So the drink, um, I think uh, the whole concept of malware and all that kind of stuff is kind of cool. So I'll call it the dropper. It has, it has a number of different connotations because I think you'll drop right off the edge of the bar if you drink too many of them. But um, it's actually what I drink all the time. Um, I also call it like the upside down uh, Jameson and Coke. What I mean by that is you take uh, essentially like two or three cups of Jameson and then just a tiny little like two ounces of Diet Coke. <laughs> so normally you have a lot yeah. of Coke and a little bit of Jameson. Just turn it upside down. A lot of Jameson, a little bit of Coke. <laughs> the dropper. But that's awesome, man. I can't wait until you open that bar up. I'll be there getting the dropper. And um, thanks for dropping by. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the knowledge and the insight and your perspective on all of these things. And um, I'm ready to go on a used bookstore tour with you one day and we can just talk security. That's and, it. And shock the world. That's it. Hit bars all along the way. Chris, I got to tell you, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real honor and a pleasure. You're, uh, you're amazing. It's a wonderful show, and I really appreciate it. Jim, thanks so much for being an amazing guest, man. You take care. Be safe. Thanks, bud. Barco patrons, if you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site patreon.com slash barcode podcast if you're interested in sponsoring the show check out the barcode podcast.com slash sponsor cheers unfortunately it's time to shut the bar down for this episode thanks for stopping in see you next time we'll save you a seat be sure to check us out at the barcode podcast.com